Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. When you walk by new construction, uh, it oftentimes doesn't look like much. Uh, In our neighborhood, our elementary school is being redone. Uh, It had uh, grown old. Uh, It had been uh, difficult uh, to uh, manage uh, the property with all of the growth of young families moving to Silver Spring. And so Woodland Elementary, they tore it down. And this was a plan that was years in the work. Uh, the effort that it takes to prepare kind of the budgetary steps and then approvals and the effort to say, okay, when are we going to do this? Now, what are we going to do with all the kids who need to go to school somewhere while we tear this down? And uh, Stephanie and I would occasionally go walking through the neighborhood and you'd walk by and uh, for much of the last year, uh, it certainly didn't look like much. I mean, for a while, it just looked like a giant mound of dirt uh, next to like a big hole. And then next to like a ton of fencing and what looked like construction stuff. But that was kind of it. But in recent months, I started to get a bit better. It's like they poured the concrete pad. They used like cinder blocks to start building pillars and structures. And you get the sense that it's starting to come together. Years in the making And you at least can imagine what this looks like. Not perfect, certainly not fully done, not yet ready for those kids to all move back and start going to their neighborhood school. But you catch a glimpse of what's ahead in this process. And when Paul writes uh, this letter uh, that we call Ephesians to the church, the church is just at that stage. Right? So Paul is making clear that God's Old Testament promises, all of, uh, in a sense, the, the budgetary process, the planning, the blueprints, uh, God had all of this in mind, but it wasn't really visible through much of the Old Testament. But now that Jesus has come and announced the kingdom, now that God's spirit has been poured out on the church, now Paul is writing because you're kind of just at that point where the concrete foundation is in place and some of the cinder blocks are being stacked up and you can't uh, quite see what it will be, uh, but you can begin to imagine this is the structure and shape of God's new community in what's to come. You can see the foundation firm in Christ's resurrection. You can see the pillars of the apostles that are being stacked to structure and prepare this new community for the fuller building and expansion that's yet to come. And so as Paul writes and as he describes just where the church is at in this current moment, he does so with a glimpse to the future. He does so uh, giving an eye toward what it will look like for the people to all gather again and participate fully in the life of the church. And he does it with this metaphor of building something. Building something that represents a bringing together of God's presence with God's people. Not necessarily in one geographic location, but as something that extends 
and expands across the world. And so as Paul writes, he is, in a sense, extending an invitation to you this morning to participate in this project. You may not live in the zoning for Woodland Elementary School, so when you walk by, you can just kind of glimpse it, but you say, yeah, that's not my school, I have a different school. Or my kids get schooled at home, or my kids go to this other school over here. So you're like, I don't know what connection I have. Well, Paul's vision of the church is that anyone, anywhere, anytime is invited to attend. It is God's construction project for you, and you're invited in. And, and so this morning, you show up here at the Mosaic Silver Spring, and, and my guess is that you use your time and your energy and your gifts and your resources to build something. You may not be fully aware of what that is. You may have never seen the blueprints, but your parents, years and years and years of like forcing in, here's what you need to do. That's the functional blueprints, even if you're not really conversational with it. Or maybe you're the type of person where uh, you know the blueprint back and front. It's posted on your wall or on your whiteboard. You have it mapped out and you know. And so this is what you get up and labor for every day. Well, Paul's invitation to you, whether you've ever thought about what you're using your energy for, or whether you have it all mapped out and we could all go visit and see it right now, is an invitation to participate in something bigger, to participate in God's blueprint of redemption, his new humanity. You don't have to be zoned in. You don't, to, to participate in that, you don't have to uh, have arrived at some spiritually heightened state. You don't have to have followed some set of credentialing process. You are invited to participate through faith. And Paul is writing Ephesians in part to unpack just what has been accomplished in this redemption plan and how you are invited in. And so we're going to look at his invitation this morning in chapter 2 in two points, new creation and new community. So in new creation, and I'm going to focus in kind of the first uh, eight verses or so, verses 11 through 17, we will get a sense of what God's doing here. Uh, just what's happening. And uh, to do this, it, it can be hard sometimes in letters like Ephesians because when the early church picked up Ephesians, they would just read it all. Now, there wouldn't be chapters and verses that you would break up. And, and so you, all of this would be connected and you can see it unfolding. So it gets a little challenging when we can't do that. So I've, I've put together a, a little bit of a structure to help you follow along what's happening here. Uh, so... Uh, in the ancient Near Eastern world, there would be a pattern where when a new king showed up, they would announce, hey, I'm the king and here's what I'm king of. And uh, that would often be followed of an accounting of uh, what conflict has taken place and the victory that that king has achieved. And then word would go out uh, as far as the borders of the kingdom, like they would want that victory made known and an inv invitation to you to celebrate with the king. Whether you were on the winning side or losing side, it was kind of this very like, hey, you're going to celebrate with the king. And it would, it would go out, right? And then after you got through that phase, typically you'd, you'd want some sort of legacy. You'd want to mark it somehow. And so then what would typically happen is there would be a pattern of temple building, uh, temples in the ancient Near Eastern world would be a visible physical location uh, to not only honor something that's happened or a power that's in place, but a meeting place, so to speak, of the earthly and the divine. 
And so in this letter to the Ephesians, a New Testament uh, theologian has made the case that uh, what's happening at the end of chapter 1 and through chapter 2 is this pattern. Paul is saying, hey, that pattern that you may be aware of, of kingship and authority, of conflict and victory, of an announcement and celebration, and of temple building, God is doing it even better. He's doing it even richer. He's doing it in a way that impacts everybody, not just one region, not just one location. And so if uh, you remember back a few weeks ago when I preached at the end of chapter 1, in verses 20 to 22, there's this announcement of the power of God on display in Christ. The power and might of God worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him in his right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. There's this announcement that Jesus is king. And he's not king over one little city. He's not king over one little state. He's not king over one little region. The announcement is big, if true, Jesus is king over all. If you can see it, he's king. If you can feel it, he's king. If you can hear about it in the news, he's king. That he's the power and authority over it all. And Dan, last week in verses 1 through 10, unpacked the conflict and victory that's been achieved over the reality of your own spiritual death and sin. It's a bold claim. We, in the condition of humanity, were in bad shape. And so when Jesus came as King Jesus, it wasn't just an announcement of the power that had given him, but in his death and resurrection, he was accomplishing victory over your sin, over death itself. His resurrection from the grave is real and is a declaration of what we're invited into. And that continues in verses 13 through 16, and and where you get this sense that our sins have been dealt with. Remember verse 8, by grace you've been saved, victory has been secured. In verse 11, there's this therefore, this continuing. Okay, so what's the effect? If that's the reality for me as an individual or for us corporately who turn in faith to Jesus Christ, he's king, that's declared, victory over sin and death, fantastic. Verse 11, therefore, here's what that means for your relationships. They change. You are in a sense now actively a part of new creation. Who doesn't want something new for their lives? This is the victory that Jesus has achieved and invites you to participate in. Upstairs here at the church, you may have noticed the way that uh, the building is heated, uh, at least upstairs, are radiators. Uh, And if you're not familiar, effectively along the wall, there's these radiators and water runs through them. And I can't, I'm not an engineer. You can find an engineer. They can explain exactly how this all works. But I just know that one source, that heats the whole room. And sometimes it heats the whole room a lot. Uh, and, And so these radiators are the source of heat. So for that whole second wing, like basically it's wall radiators, these like one location, this radiator that radiates heat that effect brings warmth to the rest of the room. Well, this language that 
Paul, when he read, not Paul the Apostle, Paul Di Piazza, uh, when he read and he was unpacking the language in verse 11 down through 16, and he's talking about what Israel had and what the Gentiles, people who weren't a part of the people of God ethnically, what they were separated from, you can think of it as, in a sense, the people of God were to serve as a radiator in the Old Testament of God's blessings for the whole world. Okay, God made a covenant with his specific people going all the way back to the mid portion of Genesis. And the design of that was for Israel and all of God's blessings and covenant promises to flow through that radiator that would then bring heat to the rest of the world. That was their role. That's how God was working. The radiator would send off heat that would bring warmth to everyone else. But it didn't quite work out. The radiator got clogged with the reality of idolatry. And an infighting broke down the radiator's ability to give off heat, even for itself. You can move an inch away from the Old Testament radiator of Israel, and you may not feel anything. They struggled to not only warm the world, but to care for themselves. There was this breakdown. And so... Paul's writing here in this opening section of what Paul has read to acknowledge this reality that for anyone who wasn't ethnic Israel, they felt not only not getting the heat close up, but far away and cold. And the flip here of the new creation is that with Jesus' arrival, his death and resurrection, Jesus installs central heat for God's redemptive blessings to flow. So it's as if, okay, Jesus has created something new that then begins to warm the room, not just in one location that has to radiate, but anywhere and everywhere people turn in faith. They're all brought in. And then that has this relational impact of what God is doing. So he, Jesus, brings repair, installs central heat, expands the access point of God's blessings and all of the richness and care that flow, not just to one point, not just to one ethnic group, not just to one geographic location, but to every square inch in the room. He expands it. It becomes a peace that breaks down the hostility that exists, the dividing wall that would have blocked heat because of racism and ethnocentrism and nationalism. These barriers and walls that kept heat from radiating through the room, uh, linking all the way back to idolatry and unfaithfulness, Jesus comes in with his ability to let God's blessings flow to everyone who turns in faith, regardless of their geographic location, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of what they have done or haven't done. You are invited in. It's a call to this new creation where God is reconciling everyone to himself. It's a call to community. He's saying that the effects of what God has accomplished aren't just to be individually enjoyed, but they're now how we are to view and understand just what God is doing in our world. 
The reality that if, if heat is accessible, it doesn't uh, matter uh, your own individual past. It doesn't matter what geographic location you find yourself. It doesn't matter what... Uh, what demographic you register when filling out a census that you are invited in, that hostility that would normally separate is destroyed in Jesus Christ. And, and, And so this new creation is more than just like a recounting of history, Paul tells us. And it's not that knowing history is bad, knowing history is great, but what Christ is doing is not only knowing what has happened in history, it's setting up the future. And, and it's not that it's, it's merely a program, whether public or private, to bring people together and participate in community, not that there's anything wrong with those programs, but that those then in and of themselves will never fully accomplish a, a destruction of the hostility that exists because of sin. Christ through his victory, brings about true reconciliation. And so what that means for us here at Mosaic Silver Spring as a multi-ethnic church in a global city is that we are to be on the front lines of participating in the central heating of the nations. That as much as we can here and now, we're invited to not set up new walls of racism or ethnocentrism or nationalism, but to tear those walls down or ensure they stay down by the power of the Spirit so that Christ is freely offered and is reconciling power with it. What that means is that we as a church can't be known by our partisanship. That's just a new wall. Rather, we have to be known as a church that doesn't perfectly work all this stuff out, but is trying in faith to bring heat, the warmth of God's love and redemption, the reality of new creation and new community together for everyone. We can do that not through partisanship, and not even through individual effort, but I think through an ongoing, deep, and rich understanding of God's grace to us. That at a fundamental level, you can build for all sorts of things, but that you view all of that ultimately as part of God's redemptive building project. If you view the world that way, when you come into contact with someone who doesn't agree with your politics or doesn't uh, speak your language or doesn't uh, come from the same spot of belief as you do, it enables you to see the humanity in them and engage them where they're at. It positions you not to think first of walls, but instead of bridges, of avenues, of ways to connect. The women's retreat is a step in that direction, right? What does that look like? It looks like setting aside time from the busyness of our lives and schedules and to intentionally gather together with people who don't all come from the same place, may not have all of the same views, but they're going to spend time together asking questions, praying, learning, growing deeper in relationship. People who are still here and come to the park will do some of the same, just not as cool. But all of that, community groups, the time where you linger after church, when you invite someone into your home, when you go grab a meal, when, as Peter did during the confession, when you stand up and you begin to share just a bit of who you really are and what your story really is, those are bids toward one another to find yourself secure and reconciled in Jesus Christ. 
That is just a bit of the application of what it means to be a part of this new creation. So if you keep following, there is, and I'm not going to touch on this a lot. Um, I think you could take, if, if you buy that model, then verse 17 and 18, this announcement of peace everywhere, shalom everywhere. I think you could take that as like the celebration announcement, the like kind of going uh, far and wide. But, so I take it that way. Then when you come to verses 19 through 22, you get a sense of uh, this new temple building. And what's different about what God is doing through Jesus and in the pouring out of his spirit is uh, the temple isn't just one spot. It's not just one location. In Ephesus, there was the temple of Diana. It was viewed as one of the seven wonders of the world. It was amazing. People would come from far and wide to see this place where, in a sense, the presence of Diana was visible for all. It was beautiful. It was here on earth. It was heaven and earth coming together. But what Paul is saying is the building project of God's redemption, that's not just one physical building where you have to go and see it. Rather, it's the people gathered together. The people are the construction of the new temple. It's the people when they meet regularly and they gather together, that is what continues on. Christ is the cornerstone for this new community. And the blueprint that God is offering is people from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, wherever they may find themselves in any age until King Jesus returns, talking about the peace that they now have in Christ, building one another up, sharing their lives with each other, and loving one another. This is the new community. This past week, an amazing thing happened. I I think it's probably one of the rarest selfies that will ever get captured, okay? Okay. There was an American YouTube pilot uh, flying in a surveillance plane, and he was flying by a really big balloon that was coming across the U.S. Yeah, that that balloon, you know which one I'm talking about, the one that caused kind of some tensions between uh, the U.S. and China. Uh, So that balloon, there's a YouTube pilot who's flying at like 60,000 feet or whatever, and he's coming by that giant balloon, and he like with his phone takes a selfie where you can see him and the wing of the plane and the shadow of the plane against the balloon and the balloon itself. I I don't think, I hope that that selfie can never be replicated, but that's a pretty amazing selfie. What struck me isn't only that he was able to get that picture while he was doing that. Apparently, people got a real kick out of this because they declassified it and shared it. It was the sleuths on social media who were like, I bet we can geolocate this. And so what they did is they took the picture and they started working from kind of what they knew. Where did we think the balloon was and that kind of time frame. And then they took Google Maps and they started to like find rivers and landmarks and they mapped it down to the time and place. And they were like, that pilot was over this town in Missouri with like 325 people as a population. That's exactly where he was when he was at the angle where he took this picture. Because you can see the Mississippi River and all these other things. It was amazing. I mean, first it was amazing, like, who has the time to do this, right? It's like, wow, I'm glad that I didn't have to do any of that work. I just get to scroll and read about it. Pretty cool stuff. But amazing that this snapshot in time could be captured and geolocated down to this very, very specific point. When we think about worship, 
when we think about this morning and what we're doing here, you should think about it as a snapshot in time of God's temple building. Okay? So does that one selfie that that YouTube pilot, does that capture all of the diplomatic tensions in the 21st century between the U.S. and China? No. Right? Not at all. Does that town in Missouri, did they have any idea of what was going on? No. I mean, there's a lot happening. And in that photo, as amazing as it is, and all of the backgrounding and geolocating, as amazing as that is, really it's just one snapshot in time of a much broader work involving much broader powers than you can imagine. Well, when we gather on Sunday mornings, it doesn't always feel like this, but you need to know this is a snapshot in time of God's new community that he's building. You have the privilege, you've been invited in to sing in the presence of the Almighty God who meets by the power of His Spirit with His people. That's what makes worship amazing. Not the preaching, not the music, not what we say or don't say. What makes worship amazing is that it is a snapshot in time of God meeting with His new community. And you get to join through faith. Wow, that's worth waking up for. How do you go through life loving people who are different from you as angry or frustrated or impatient or indifferent and hopefully not cynical that they may make you? You come to worship and get a snapshot of the almighty God meeting with his people and that softens your heart to move forward. You sing and get reminded of the resurrection power that's at play for us, that's available to us, and the spirit that's been poured out for you and I. That's how you keep going. You catch a glimpse when you look around at the different generations in this room, the different stories in this room, even the different hurts and pains, the different successes and joys, and you let that snapshot encourage your heart. What would bring these people together? It is King Jesus and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. And so what's important for us as a church when we think about this new community is that we don't take one snapshot like that pilot and then do a deep dive on that one snapshot of old and then put that on the wall and say, remember back that time when Mosaic was first started? Remember before we even had, uh, you know, elders and a DMT? Oh, man, well, that was such a good time. It was a good time. It was amazing. But that was just a snapshot of what God's doing in the world. You can fast forward to the uh, time that we sent off poor towns or the time that we particularized as a church or the time that we actually survived the pandemic through the donation of the Drew's uh, living room for us to shoot Liturgy Live and the tech savviness of Dan Sung and uh, week in, week out showing up to try to figure out with duct tape and technology, how do we put all this stuff together? You could like, that was fun, kind of, uh, but not really, but you'd be like, Oh, that's so amazing. Part of what we have to do as a church is appreciate those snapshots in time for as amazing as they are and then say, and yet, 
our own challenges will change. Our own position in life will be different. The cultural pressures that are going to come to bear on us as a community, they're going to morph. They're dynamic. And so as a church, we have to not only appreciate those snapshots the way that you would, if you have kids, look back at old of the photos that you've taken, but recognize that uh, there is a looking forward to what God is doing. And, and that's what we have to do as a whole church community. So we can't just merely look back at the last 10 years as a church, as amazing as it is. But we have to look forward and say, okay, how do we continue to function as a gathering place for God's invitation to go out? How can we continue to bring the heat and warmth of God's redemption power to the people around us? How can we recharge each of you with an amazing snapshot week in and week out of God working in our world? That's a celebration of peace, both here and far. That's what we gather together for in worship. And that's what it means for us to take on the challenges of new community week over week over week. I pray for 10 years and more to come. I'm encouraged by what our church community has done. I'm looking forward to the ways in which we meet whatever challenges lay ahead until Jesus returns. That's living as the new community. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us. We do give you thanks for the snapshots of hope and joy, the difficult times, the fun times, the many people who've been involved in the life of our church. And yet we recognize that those snapshots are just that, that your work of redemption is ongoing, that God, you continue to bring about uh, your redemptive power in our world, and that you call us here and now to be encouraged and to go out and continue to participate. Give us strength to do that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.